super late. This is going to be, I don't even know what kind of podcast it's going to be because the NBA is somewhere between upside down and like just enough so that its head is completely up its ass and, and, and just maybe having a little bit of daylight in the outside. So I'm Fred Katz, I cover the Wizards for The Athletic, and I host Wizards After Dark. And we're doing this after the Wizards 148-129 loss in Milwaukee. I was not in Milwaukee, unfortunately. Uh, and I got Ben Standing on the other line from NBC Sports Washington. We are going to talk about the trades, though. All the many trades. The Wizards made two of them. The rest of the league made a bunch of them. The trade deadline is 3 p.m. on Thursday. Ben, let's uh, let's start this off with the Otto Porter trade. <clears throat> Well, can I, can I just start it off with my favorite thing of the whole night? Please. That in a night in which the Wizards made a lot of interesting moves, we'll get into and all that, the one thing the Wizards were consistent is is that they they traded away their own second-round pick again and now don't have a, their own second-round pick until 2024. I have, that, a, I, have, I have a theory. That is amazing. I have a theory. Did you see that study about the Glacier? Um, at the North Pole, which is, like, melting way, way quicker than they thought. If it collapses, then cities are going to flood, like, coastal cities way sooner around the world than we all thought. Right. I mean, yes, I did see that, yes. So I just think the Wizards are like, whatever, global warming is going to kill us anyway. Get off the money now. We're done. It's over. And I think that's it. Well, if that's the the case, then why don't you go the other way and just spend like crazies? Forget the luxury tax. Who cares? Well, because that would kill the theory and wouldn't allow me to make the joke. <laughs> That's really oh, the only man. reason why. i got to say what the trade was, if you've been tuned out, the Wizards, right before they started their game in Milwaukee tonight, agreed to a trade, and they announced it after the game, but they agreed to a trade sending Otto Porter to the Bulls for Bobby Portis, Jabari Parker, and the Bulls' 2023 second-round pick. Right after that, they agreed to a deal sending Markeith Morris to the Pelicans for Wes Johnson. They're also going to send over their own 2023 second-round pick, which means, like you said, they don't have their own second-round pick until 2024 when Washington might be underwater. Let's start on Porter. Reactions to Porter? I, I, actually, you know what? Before we do it, I just want to read. I want to read a thing. Ju- January 23rd. Or January 23rd? I don't know why I said 23rd. That was weird. January 31st, Ted, Le- Ted Leonsis goes on YTOP radio and definitively says they are not trading John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter. Definitively, we are not trading them. And a week later, Otto Porter is gone. Yeah, no, I mean... When he made the comments in London about the never tank, and I know tanking is not – they didn't tank tonight, which is also not the point that anybody was trying to make then, presumably. He just kind of took that term and blew it up to the 76ers from a few years ago kind of impression of it. Um, to, and then, the, yeah, the comments the other day on WTOP, he seemed like almost to some degree he was boxing his, the organization into a corner because – at the end of the day, you never know what's going to happen. What if somebody comes and makes you a really good offer or whatever the scenario is? I, I do wonder, as you may know a little bit and other people know, like I am often labeled as the Otto Porter stand around here because I've covered him since day one. He the Otto Porter standing? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. The, 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 you know, the, I covered him day one at Georgetown, and you know, obviously he stayed. And this will be the first you – know, going forward, it will be the first time I haven't covered a, a team with Otto Porter since 2011. Um, but uh, – um, so I – I did. I I believe that Otto Porter plays winning basketball, and he has not had a tremendous season. He, he wouldn't be alone in that. And yes, we can quibble about how much money he makes, but in terms of what it takes to win basketball games, he is somebody you want on your team. I hear that time and time again from people around the league, just not necessarily people uh, fans of the team who get frustrated by his sort of lack of like charisma and also the fact that he makes a lot of money, too much money for what you get. So they say. But when the news came out that John Wall was going to basically not play next season, so you, you you could no longer think, well, okay, we'll get through this year, we get next year, that that's gone. I immediately pivoted to you have to pretty much trade Otto Porter you, to even just have a semblance of a roster for next year. The, you know, I'm sure your listeners know how kind of screwed the Wizards are slash were uh, with regards to the cap space, how many players they had under contract, all that. You basically had to do something, and I suspect in the last 24 hours they came to that conclusion as well. Not a, as you tweeted out, this is a basically a flat out salary dump, and they must have decided we have to do something. I, the word I heard tonight was flexibility. I think that pretty much defines what they did today. Yeah, flexibility is salary dump. That's nice, nice little coded language for that because that's really what this was. And. I, I do believe that John Wall's injury was what kind of changed their mentality, and obviously John Wall being out for, at the very least, a significant chunk of next year because he ruptured his Achilles the other day, um, and will undergo surgery next week. Obviously, that news is something that changed their mentality, and obviously that's, I joked about Leontis' comments about not, not trading Otto Porter. I wonder, too, if that was a leverage play. It's like if we are just steadfast that we are not trading these dudes, then it's a lot easier to get a decent offer than if everybody knows we're trying to trade them. So I wonder how much of it is leverage, and I wonder how much of it was just in, uh, a shift in organizational mentality after Wall's injury. Something that should not be left out about this, though, is that I think there can be a tendency of well, you know, the Wizards are playing the, the hand they were dealt. It's an unfortunate hand. They had injury problems. It's not their fault that John Wall's um, Achilles ruptured. It's not their fault that John Wall had bone spurs, and it's not. And it's not John Wall's fault. It's purely unfortunate luck. And in that sense, the Wizards were playing the hand that they were dealt. But if you actually contextualize this properly, I don't think that's right. I think because they, they dealt themselves the hand, right? I think this doesn't go back to a week when John Wall actually ruptured the Achilles. And it doesn't even go back to when Porter signed his contract. I think this goes back to the summer of 2016 when they could extend Otto Porter. C.J. McCollum, who was part of that same draft class, ended up extending that summer on a $106 million deal for four years. And Porter probably would have commanded less than that. The Wizards decided not to. They took the gamble. He goes into free agency. He ends up getting this, not just the max deal, but the max deal with all the crazy provisions that he got from the Nets. And the Wizards felt like they had to match because they had no better option uh, if they were to lose him. And they wanted to continue to be competitive, and keeping him was the best way to do it. So now they've got this contract, which with this trade they admitted they thought was an overpaid. By making this trade, you you admit that it's a deal that you think is 
more expensive than he is productive. And they now have this contract sitting on their deal because of the way that they strategize this. And now they have to dump this. And they put themselves in this position. And I think going back to 2016 to contextualize this, because that's how a lot of these problems have arisen, right? It's like, well, the Wizards had to do this. They, they had to offload a second-round pick with Jody Meeks to get out of that deal. They didn't have to give Jody Meeks a player option to begin with. They had to, you know, attach a second-round pick to get off of Jason Smith. But they didn't have to give Jason Smith all that money, you know? They didn't have to give Yamahimi that money just because they had the cap space. These are mostly self-inflicted problems, which once you get far enough away from it, it looks like it's just the hand you're dealt, and it's like, oh, you got out of it. But the Wizards, this is the exact same front office, the exact same administration that created all of this. And I think that needs to be contextualized in this, because while Otto Porter's production doesn't necessarily match his contract, like you just said, Otto Porter is a good player. If NBA players all made the, if it was just a communist regime, the NBA, and every player made the exact same amount of money, Otto Porter would be a player that you want. Otto Porter helps you win games. He is a good shooter. He's a smart player. He's a good defender on the ball. He's a good team defender. He is a good, he makes good decisions. He is, he's unselfish. He's a good player who helps you win basketball games, who's multi-talented and is good and a number of different things. And the Wizards ended up having to give him away because they, mishandled the situation, or at least didn't handle the situation ideally, because you can't say any time you salary dump a guy that you're handling it ideally. Uh, it's just kind of another situation in which the Wizards didn't necessarily stab themselves, but they just kind of poked themselves hard enough, enough times to where something turned into a bruise, and then the bruise got infected, and then the infection started to spread, and, and, and that's just kind of been their MO now for a, a number of years. Yeah, no, and um, to sort of, uh, you know, we'll get to more of the specifics, I'm sure, in a second, but to go back to your point about the, uh, the you know, how they sort of put themselves in this position, um, <clears throat> back in 2016 is when I began, um, the first time I was doing a podcast for real, the Locked on Wizards, you had the, the Locked on Thunder, and uh, I started off and the Wizards were terrible, that was the, the first year of Scott Brooks, they're two and eight, whatever they were, and like, I'm like, how am I supposed to do a podcast Right for this team is going to stink all year, and ever all and when I would ask people for questions, all they ever wanted to talk about was the same old stuff we talk about now. How do we, you know, how do we make a change in the front office? So I decided. I I often grew frustrated with it because so many times when you look back at what the Wizards did in the moment, or even just in in hindsight, it was a lot of the things they did were understandable. So. We got our, I got our mutual friend Michael Lee to come on with me, and we did basically a four-hour podcast that I broke up into several pieces, in which we literally went through every single move of the Ernie Grunfeld era, at least the, the highlight moves, you know, Gilbert Arenas, Jan Vesely, what have you. And almost all of them, Michael agreed as well, I'm not saying they were the right move or they were amazing, but they were at least understandable. You could understand why these things happened. Jan Vesely wasn't picked in a vacuum. Everybody said he was a top five or six pick. They picked him. It didn't work out for them. There were a couple times here and there where you're like, wait, why did you give Andre Blatchett extension? But my point is that when you got to the summer of 2016, because that's right where we were. I mean, at that point, everything had just started. We didn't know for sure. But you could see, like, because I questioned most of those moves in the moment. And to me, that is the time where it's really hard to justify almost anything that happened that summer, which has led to this. Um, Jan Mahimi. I mean, Andrew Nicholson by that point 
They signed him back to a contract that summer. I think by the second or third game, he was already getting a DNP CD, and they had to trade him at the trade deadline with a first-round pick to uh, Brooklyn for Boyan Bogdanovich. But it's that type of move that also led to where we're at now. Because why did the Wizards ultimately have to get rid of Otto Porter? Was it just the money? No. It was because they had no they had no roster. If if instead of if you never give Andrew, I mean I'm, this is all hypothetical, but if you never give Andrew Nicholson that trade, you never have to get rid of him. You could go out and get Boyan Bogdanovich for like a second round pick, like they'll give away. You don't have to give up that first. That first turns into Jared Allen. I'm not saying the Wizards get Jared Allen, but conceivably they get somebody. And they kept trading away second round picks. You mentioned a couple of them. They traded second round picks for uh, Trey Burke. They traded a second round pick for Tim Frazier. Both times Thomas Sadoransky was on the roster. They never kind of went to him. Uh, they, they kept looking for some other alternatives. All these assets that you kept giving away, to, in often cases to make up for your own mistakes, also led to what happened. Because if the Wizards had three other guys on the team, you don't have to necessarily, you can look at Otto Porter and say, well, you know what? He makes a lot of money, but he's also good, and we don't, ha- our roster is not completely desperate even without John Wall. They literally, right now, b- b- at the time they made, well, hell, just look at right now, by trading Otto Porter, they have three healthy players under contract for next year. That Two of them are Jan Mahimi and Troy Brown. So like that's not that's not sustainable. That that's why they had to do what they did. And like you said, it comes down to all these decisions that they made that summer of 2016 really just kind of messed them up. And they just had been playing catch up throughout. And this is it, 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 I won't say this ended it. You still got Yamahimi, and you know there's other things you can you can sort of uh you can sort of uh connect. But th- th- it all basically led to this moment. Yeah. So here's what I'd be. What I'm I'm just gonna say what I'm curious about. So now for next year with Otto off the books and all the guys they got today, so that would be Wes Johnson is about six million dollars, and then Portis and uh, and Parker are both are both expiring. Parker's got a team option for next year, twenty million, which obviously is not going to be picked up. So all those guys are expiring; they're all coming off the books. The Wizards had about one hundred eleven million on the books for next year. Now with Otto gone, they've got about eighty three and a half on the books for next year. I wonder though. I mean, they're not going to have cap room still. Even though they're about $25 million below the cap, they're not going to have cap room. Because they're going to need to have, uh, you know, I guess they can probably renounce Parker. But if they plan on re-signing Portis, they're going to have his cap hold on the books. They're going to have, if they want to re-sign Trevor Ariza, they're going to have his cap hold on the books. They're going to have Sadoransky's cap hold on the books. Like, this is this is stuff that's going to put them up close to the tax. Oh, the Wizards just made the uh, Marquise Morris trade official, so we can talk about that in a bit. Although I guess there was no embargo on talking about it before it was official. Uh, but these things are going to prevent them from having room anyway. They're still probably, if they want to re-sign their own guys, they're not going to have that much. Uh, they're going to be able to get out of the tax, which is great for them if they want to. But the problem is, if you want to re-sign Portis, like. He's only he's only cheap for the rest of this year. He's a restricted free agent. He's a pretty good player. Now you're just getting him for market value. Sadoransky, you're going to have to get for market value. And when you have a bunch of restricted free agents, guess what? You're susceptible to the stuff that Brooklyn did to you with Otto Porter or the stuff that Brooklyn did to Miami with Tyler Johnson, where they try to give guys above market deals with teams they know are vulnerable and are banking on re-signing those guys, and then those teams have to match on contracts that are overpays, and then you're stuck in the auto-porter cycle again. Um, 
you know, if you if you want to re-sign Trevor Ariza and you want to give him three years or something like that, look, Trevor Ariza is a good player, but like it, it's it, that's that's potentially going to push you into the tax again. You might just be stuck in the same cycle with this similar roster to what you have right now. You know, now, I don't want to sound too critical on this particular front because uh, are you a Ray Romano fan by any chance? I did not watch that show with any regularity, but yeah, he's funny. Yeah, neither did I. But he has he has a couple. I'm a big stand up comedy fan. He has a couple of good. He has a couple of good stand up specials, and he has this one joke, which is I think hilarious. And the premise of it is that uh, my, my my wife came home and she was mad at me, and I didn't know why. And she said that uh, she saw a girl that. She saw a girl on the bus that she thought I would have liked had I been there to see him, see her. And, like, it's a it's a great premise for a joke. And I feel like knocking the Wizards for giving Ariza a big contract this summer and eventually pushes them into the tax, that's the equivalent of that concept. We're just assuming that it would happen and then we're knocking them for it. And I don't think that's fair because they haven't done that. And who knows? Maybe they flip Trevor Ariza. Maybe they flip Jeff Green. By the time this podcast is done, there was a trade at in the morning last night. Maybe something like that happens again. But that's something that I would be wary of, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, you, you make a good point. I mean, so much has happened. I mean, I was talking to somebody before I came on a podcast with you, and, you know, you, you're trying to make heads or tails of everything that happened. Otto Porter's out, and after, you know, the four number three pick, and, you know, Marky Morris is such a key addition for them, and, you know, such a tone setter for that locker room, and, who are the new guys and what's the starting lineup or what, what what's the rotation look like and all that stuff. And what do they have next year? And then you sort of sit down and you think to yourself, well, what do they have? Are they good next year? Like, I mean, wh- nothing ultimately changed. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, I don't want to say the shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic by any stretch. That, that's a horrible thing. But I, I was saying like, I don't, yeah, we don't know what they are that there's, there's so much confusion, like you said. If you add, if you keep the restricted guys, that kind of gobbles up the remainder of your money. So what do you have? You're basically bringing back the same team, but no John Wall. You Otto Porter's gone, and now you're replacing Mark Keith with Bobby Portis. Like what? Where are we at with with that? Uh, you know, I yeah, it's um, it's it's uh, it's not. Uh, like you said, it, it's not fair to assume what's going to happen and, and start uh, collaborating them before. And I like that. Uh, I like that joke. Um, but at the same point, you know, I mean, and uh, you know, I I think you saw it, but like I reported that I was told uh, from a source that, and I think Woj reported some of this about Trevor Ariza. Like their intention is to not trade Trevor Ariza or Jeff Green at the deadline, and it and it with the purpose of bringing them back, that they want to keep them, ideally. I don't know why you can't trade them and just say, hey, we'd like to bring you back. You, great, you want to come back? Fantastic. We'll see you in three months. Go go have fun in the playoffs, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll get second-round picks. I don't quite get why that can't be a thing, but apparently that's it doesn't sound like that's the way it's going to go. And, yeah, you are sort of left with, like, what, what, what are they doing? What's the actual team? It's basically the team they have now, but you just gave away Otto Porter and – kind of figure out the rest. It, 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 it'll make for some interesting conversations going forward for sure. And By what, the way, yeah. Can, can I just say I just read something else? I told you what my favorite thing was. Can I tell you what my least favorite thing is? Please. 
they traded away a Georgetown player, but added players from Syracuse and Duke. Oh, man. So, uh, Wes Johnson redshirted at Syracuse when I was a manager there. So I have known Wes Johnson since I was a freshman in college. We've known each other for, we used to refer to Wes as an honorary manager because he used to hang out with us when, uh, when he was redshirting and he, he couldn't play. Very good guy. Very nice, super nice guy. I don't think you and I, you and I have not really gotten into the Georgetown Syracuse thing. That may have to happen during like an off season podcast because uh, I'm, I'm sure you know because uh, yeah, there, there's things that need to be discussed and we'll uh, we'll move on for now. But anyway, getting Syracuse and Duke losing Georgetown that's a rough day. I know. Well, it sounds like <laughs> from your report that you're keeping Jeff Green. So one thing that one. that has to be said, by the way, when you're talking about Jeff Green and the potential of keeping him or trading him. Like, the Wizards, Bobby Portis is a nice player. He's yes. a nice player. Jabari Parker is... Irrelevant. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I don't think he's going to help. I mean, look, anything that you want to say about Jabari Parker, maybe you think that he has been given an unfair deal by the Bulls or whatever it is, you can't say, like, he openly said he does not care about defense. This It's, it's not debatable anymore. Like, he openly said he doesn't care about defense. So it's like, okay, if, you, if he's, he's that bad defensively, and it's fine. We can say that because he says it. Like, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. But back to Jeff Green, keep it, if you really want to keep Ariza, then literally keeping Ariza now will help you keep him in the future. Holding on to Jeff Green, while it may give you an emotional advantage in keeping him, if that's how you've discussed it with him and he wants to stay, it doesn't give you a financial advantage. Like, it does, but it's a negligible, irrelevant one. Jeff, they don't have the Jeff Green's bird rights. He signed a one-year minimum deal with them, which means they can only pay him next year 120% of this year's salary, which means they can't pay him more than one point. If they're over the cap next year, they can't pay him more than $1.8 million in a starting salary for 2019-20 without using one of their exceptions. So, like, Trevor Ariza has such a big salary – that 100, it's the same thing for him, but he has a $15 million salary, so they can pay him up to 120% of his $15 million salary, which is, what, $18 million. They can pay him up to $18 million. Is that math right? Three, yes, $18 million. They can pay him up to $18 million next year, which is like, great, you can re-sign Trevor Ariza if you want to re-sign Trevor Ariza. The math works. With Jeff Green, they're going to have to give him one of, his accept- one of the exceptions anyway. So it's really just going to come down to who pays him the most. If you trade Jeff Green now and you pay him more next summer, than he gets anywhere else. You can probably get Jeff Green back. If you lowball Jeff Green this summer and somebody else gives him more, I imagine Jeff Green is going to go where the more money is because Jeff Green's a human being, and that's how every human being, you, me, all the other ones in the world would work. So, like, I, that that's the one where um, that has to be part of the conversation when you talk about holding on to Jeff Green so that you can keep him for the following season. Jeff Green's had a very nice year. If you want to keep him because you think he's competitive, if Jeff Green plays like he does next year, like he has this year next year, Jeff Green will help you win. He's had a really good year as a as a role player. There's no question about that. I've been pounding that drum all year. Uh, but you can't sell that the, the, there's a financial incentive to making you know to keeping him being more attractive. That that doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the again at a very base level. The worst case scenario for the Wizards, effectively, would be if you traded, if you want to keep both guys, but you trade them away, 
And for whatever the reason, you know, Ariza goes to the Lakers and the, the, the kid from Southern California is like, oh, you know what? It's kind of fun when it's 80 degrees in February. I'm going to stay here or, or Jeff Green, you know, whatever. He just decides not to come back. You could view that as the worst case scenario. But what 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 is really the downside? In theory, let's just say you get a second round pick for each of them just for argument's sake. That would help replenish what we just discussed that they don't have any. And this team... Again, I'm not trying to say it's impossible, but like, what what are they next year with Trevor Reza and Jeff Green? It's not like th- these are twenty, you know, twenty four, twenty five year olds. Like, you know, right? You know, hypothetically, if you let Thomas Adaransky get into free agency, which he may just because he wants to test the waters, but if you can let him get away, you know, he's a younger guy that you could maybe, you know, ha- has some upside still. Same with Thomas Bryant. These two guys, they're fine players. They both have been helpful. Jeff Green, like you said, but like what? Ah! I mean, worst case scenario, they go away. My my sense is, though, I think after, in this year of chaos, I think my sense is that the Wizards like the veteran leadership that these two guys brought to the equation. I mean, Jeff Green, as, as we've joked on the side a lot, Jeff Green is a, is a no-nonsense guy. He runs a tight ship. Trevor Reese is kind of the same way in there. I think pe- people in that locker room are probably less apt to mess up, screw around, talk back, whatever you want to say, with those two dudes in there, and maybe the, the organization likes that. Um, one thing on Green, I guess, and, and you're more of the salary cap insider than I am, he signed for a minimum with the Wizards after he was the second best player on the team in Game Seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. There was no market for Jeff Green last year. I don't know if there, what the market is for him this year, or there was a market. And he decided he wanted to come play at home. So unless he was completely turned off by playing here, or he doesn't think the organization is good, I, do, I guess I'd be surprised if somebody out there offers him significant money. So that ultimately it may not matter either way, like whether they. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I, I, again, maybe I'm missing something, but like if, if he he was here already for no money at a point when he was had a really good playoff, and why? So therefore, I don't know if I see a market for him. Ariza's different. I think people value his two way play, and, and and somebody may make a move on him, and maybe they think screw it. We just we, we want Ariza here. We don't want him to leave the building until <laughs> you know. We don't want him to see another organization. And I don't know. That's all I can get. That's all I can guess for him. I, again, I would have. I would look to move both, but that's me. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense to move both where you're at. Like they're also, we haven't even mentioned the game yet. They lost tonight. They're five back in the loss column of the eight seed right now. That's yeah, a, I mean, that's a decent amount. And by the way, one, one other point to this whole thing about what, what, what maybe, if anything, changed their mind, you can't lose to Cleveland and then Atlanta, especially Atlanta at home. I mean, Atlanta's a, a, an interesting team that got a lot of scoring. You, you can't lose that game and try to compete. I mean, you know, every, when you look at the schedule, which are the easy games? That, that, those two. You're not even. You're not even. You're looking past those two because you're assuming you're going to win. You lose those games, it gets harder to look at your. I think realistically and say we're going to make a run here to make the playoffs. You know, but I don't. I don't know about you. I mean, I, 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 I had people there telling me that those losses, like they, they still think they're playing well lately, and those losses were more outliers than they were actual things that contributed to their to their thought process. Well, the Cleveland game was definitely an outlier. I, I mean, because that was the first game basically in 2019 where they just didn't really show up, right? I mean, but the Atlanta game, and, and like, I, if you want to compare it, which I have for a lot of this stretch without John Wall, if you want to compare it to how they were playing tonally with energy before, they are definitely significantly better. 
I don't care. You can't lose those. I mean, it's just hard to – how are you going to make up? I mean, like tonight, that they've played Milwaukee twice in a week. Milwaukee's the best team in the, in the NBA right now record-wise. They're not even close to them, not not in the same universe. So if you can't compete – I mean, that, not every team is Milwaukee – but if you're going to, you know, if you can't beat the team at the top and then you can't beat the team at the bottom, you know, this isn't this isn't Goldilocks. You can't, I don't know where you find the one that fits just right. <laughs> like, that's that's the range. The best teams, the worst teams, and they've lost to both in the last few few days. That, that You know, they have been playing better. There's no argument. But practically speaking, you just can't lose those games and be realistic about where you're, uh, where you're at. Yeah, no, I mean, it does feel to me that, like, you got to pick a direction. You don't even have to pick a direction. I mean, it's nice to pick a direction for one year, two years, three years from now. That would be optimal, but you don't have to. But at least you have to pick a direction for these next three months. And the teams that end up hurting themselves over the long term are the ones who want to straddle a line, who want to have one foot somewhere and the other foot somewhere else, and they end up doing a split that they can't, they're not acrobatic enough to do, and they end up pulling a groin. Like that's what ends up happening. And by holding on to a reason in green while making these deals, which make you worse. And, uh, you know, I'm sure – I don't know if we're going to talk to Ernie. My guess would be no, but I would guess that the organization is going to sell this as they think they maintain. They like Bobby Portis. They want to keep Bobby Portis. Jabari Parker is a former number two overall pick. He's a scorer. And he's going to help. Ernie said in his official statement that they got guys who can play multiple positions. I, I don't think Jabari Parker can – I don't agree with that. I don't think Jabari Parker can play multiple positions, but you can sense that that's already happening. But I think they got worse with this deal. And if you're going to make a trade that gets you worse, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you're 22 and 32. They're a season-high tying 10 games below 500 right now. This The, the, the post-John Wall flair has, like, Blamed out a little bit. They're they're nine and ten now after the wall injury. They're they're not they're not playing great basketball. Uh, well, they lost five out of six now, and two of those losses have been to the Atlanta and the Cleveland losses we're talking about. And, and the reality is, just this group, they just don't have enough. I mean, my my point from, from the moment John went out was the the five or six guys that they have at the top. Every game, they've got to make their shots, hustle back on defense, not get in foul trouble, never have the sniffles. Like, they all have to play well, and then you can compete and you hope for the best. Like, when they go double overtime against Toronto. If, if even one of those guys is off, and I think that was one of the things with Otto Porter in the last few games, he wasn't playing well. He seemed off in multiple ways, and maybe that had some factor at the very end as well. That, that's why they start losing and struggling, because you, they don't they just don't have enough bodies to compete. Let's talk about the actual basketball. We're talking about the organization for a half an hour. This is a basketball podcast. Let's talk about the basketball. What do, you, what do you think of Bobby Portis? Because he's obviously the main guy in this. In the, uh, This is really one trade. Because these moves are made in conjunction, right? Like all transactions are interlinked somehow. And this is this is truly very obviously made in conjunction to get them. They're about $200,000 under the luxury tax right now. They were at one point like $11 million, $14 million over the luxury tax or something like that earlier this year which is uh, an incredible amount of money to shave off of your salary mid-season when almost the entire league is 20 out of 30 teams are over the salary cap. Some, like, amazing tax dodging there. Uh, so the overall net deal is I'm just going to assume that the 
they traded their own second round pick to New Orleans and they're taking in the Bulls 2023, so the same year. I'm just going to assume those are the same. Those picks are so far out. Those picks are four years out, four and a half years out. They're so far out that we have no idea whether their own pick or the Bulls pick is going to be better. It's impossible to judge how good those picks are going to be uh, in the second round. Do you think uh, you think Troy Brown will be in the rotation by then? <laughs> he'll be coming off his restricted free agency here. Right? <laughs> so he'll be the contract putting them into the tax. But, like, it's it's impossible to, to tell. So I'm just going to call it a wash with the second-round picks and say that they're in that zero on second-round picks for 2023. So they have coming in, they have Bobby Portis, Jabari Parker, Wesley Johnson. Going out, they have Markeith Morris, and they have uh, Otto Porter, obviously. Just purely basketball. What is your reaction to the guys coming in? So I've always had a thing for Bobby Porters back in 2015. Um, so interesting, right? In 2015, he was the player that I wanted. Uh, the, the, the couple guys I wanted the Wizards to tra- draft that year, they had the 19th pick. Bobby Portis I wanted. I wanted R.J. Hunter. I wanted Montrez Harrell. And I feel there was somebody else. But Bobby Portis was the guy because they needed a power forward at that point, a young power forward. Instead, they traded up to 15. They gave away two second-round picks to take Kelly Oubre. And then that trade deadline, they need. They decided they needed a power forward, and they traded a first to get Markeith Morris. Um, I always liked Portis. He had this, I don't know if you, if you know, if you remember this or saw this, but like he had this weird thing with, it was last year, where in one game he basically knocked out both of the Wizards point guards, T- Tim Frazier and uh, Sadoransky. <laughs> some, some roughhousing where Sadoransky really yes, got like knocked out. I have out. seen that. Um, so, uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't seen the Bulls play a ton this year. There haven't been that much for that to pay attention with them. But I've always generally liked Portis's game. You look at his you know, numbers. He's been playing about 24 minutes a game, his per 36 numbers. I accidentally like looked at that, st- that stat line first on Basketball Reference. I was like, holy crap, what is going on here? Then I realized I had the wrong number. But when you look at it in that context, it was like, oh, he really is putting up so, some good stats. I think he's a pretty interesting player, I mean, the one thing, that, you know, without having done anything else, I, the one thing I think the Wizards had to do was get a power forward, so potentially they've now done that. I guess the thing is, I don't know if I, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, is Bobby Portis a flat out the starting, let's just say he's back, is he flat out the starting power forward? I guess he is, but if you are also bringing back Jeff Green, like, those are your power forwards, so either the, Bobby Portis is the starting power forward, or you don't have one, because it seems unlikely you would go then go get another one. I mean, unless, like, Jeff Green is now suddenly the backup center, that's how we're viewing him. I have to imagine Portis is your starting power forward. Like, I I think Jeff Green, I really think he could not care less about coming off the bench versus starting. Yeah, but I'm I'm just saying, is Bobby Portis, no, I agree with that, but is Bobby Portis a starting power forward? Like, is that, I mean, he might be. I mean, the numbers are pretty good. I'm not arguing it. But is he, like, are you going into the season, he's your starting power forward, you feel pretty good about that? I think it depends on – if you're speaking in generalities, I, I think he could be good enough to be a starting power forward. He's a very good rebounder for a power forward. He has he has been good from three this year. He's got a good motor. He plays pretty hard. Uh, but the problem is if you have him next to Thomas Bryant, Portis is not really a defender. 
And if you've got him and Thomas Bryan as your four and your five, you're really not going to have much rim protection, and you're not going to have the like defensive switchiness that you have if you just kind of go you punt on rim protection, you go small, and you play someone like Otto Porter as your four when Porter is a very good team defender and he's a he's a good one on one defender, and so you're not really hurting your you're helping your defense by playing Otto Porter because he's a net positive defender, uh, and Bobby Portis is not, but he's a very good rebounder. He plays hard, which the Wizards like. They put that into everything. We want guys who play hard. You've got to find your guys who play hard, and he definitely plays hard, and he seems to care. I don't know the guy at all, but judging from the way he plays, he seems to care. He's improved a lot as a shooter. Um, he never takes mid-range shots, which is nice for the Wizards uh, to be able to let, find a guy who can limit that. He's, you know, he's not that efficient, but, like, he's not on a good team. So... You know, who knows? Like, I say he never takes mid-range shots. I think that's a good thing because I think that's a thing that can translate because when you're on a bad team and you got bad habits, it's like, okay, well, maybe it's a product of the team, maybe it's a product of the guy, we'll see. Uh, but the fact that he's showing, like, good shot selection, hitting an okay number of threes, it seems pretty sustainable. Like, that, that's good. Like, he's a good player. I think he's probably going to get a decent amount of money this summer. Like, that's... That's part of the problem. He's almost too good. The Wizards could end up in a similar situation next year to where they were this year if they retain all these guys and somebody ends up paying Sato more than they expect. Like if Sato ends up getting $14 million a year, Portis ends up getting $12 million a year, then all of a sudden like you're in a similar situation. Like they traded away Kelly Oubre because they were, you know, they didn't want to pay Kelly Oubre what they thought that he was going to be getting on the market. Granted, different situation now because they were they thought they were going to be have have more salary on the books for next year than they did when they made the Ubre trade. But they traded away Ubre because they didn't want to give him the 10, 12, 14, whatever he ends up getting, which he could. He could end up getting that annually. Bobby Portis is not going to be that different. Right. No, you're right. That is funny. I mean, Ubre is somebody who I would not have wanted to have to be in a position to have to extend. And in the end, in the end result, after all these moves, they end up with a guy from the same draft class who I'm not saying is somebody you wouldn't automatically want to extend, but you're in the position where now you're going to have to see what happens. I mean, that was the thing with Uber. It wasn't just like, you know, you, you could just do it on your own. You were, you were going to potentially compete with some other teams, and you're right, now you're in that spot with uh, with, with, with uh, Portis. But, by the way, uh, I, I assume you, you're a fan of uh, Kevin Pelton. He, he's got his grades out. Are you, have you seen the grades yet for uh, the two trades? I have not looked at them yet, but, yes, I am a fan of Kevin Pelton. He's a very smart guy. So just quickly here on the on the Porter trade, he gave the the Wizards a B minus. He gave the Bulls a C plus, effectively the same. And the, the Markeef one, I think it was. I just turned the page. I think it was basically like a B for the Pelicans and a a B minus uh, for the Wizards. The, the Morris one is easy to understand. He's hurt and you just whatever. But uh, but the other ones, after I'll be curious to read this. I'm, it's too long. I'm, I'm not going to read this while we're talking. But. Uh, but you know, I mean, sure, it's it's somewhere in the middle. I mean, so so like to your point, if Bobby Porter stays, we'll just assume the money was reasonable. Whatever, he's your starting power forward. They keep Trevor Ariza; he's the three. If we assume that Thomas Bryant and Thomas Sadoransky stay for argument's sake, then that's your starting five with with Bradley Beal. The starting five right now is Otto Porter in that spot instead of Portis. Which team is better? Obviously, we're all going to say the Porter one. So off the bat, just from that, it's hard to look at it. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, 
and and that's not even that that's not even counting whatever like if Bobby Portis gets paid like something significant, then we're in the situation where we were with Otto Porter, where the money overshadows the player because that's all anybody's going to talk about. He won't get a max contract, but. Has there has there ever been a more tongue twisting trade in NBA history than Porter Porter's Parker? <laughs> yeah. Ever? Because I think you just said Bobby Porter, and I I don't know if there has ever been one like that. In in my story tonight that I wrote, I, my, my editor caught at least one time where I referred to one of them as the uh, Porter's as Porter or vice versa. <laughs> could it could you know it could be uh, yeah, I, I could have written a story about Otto Porter's getting traded uh, for Jabari uh, Porter. Who knows? Um, and, and by the way, I mean, we, you touched on this earlier, but just to be clear, like Jabari Parker for the casual fan is probably the name that like, Ooh, the guy was the number two pick. He played at Duke. That sounds interesting, right? He is literally, I mean, unless I'm missing something, which I don't think I am. And it sounds like you're in agreement. I, 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 I mean, unless he comes in here, these last, thir- well, it doesn't even matter. He could play these last 30 games at an all-star level and they still are not picking up that $20 million option. Maybe they keep him, which that's a whole other story. And he's he only he basically only plays one side of the court. And if you don't think if you think I'm saying that just glibly, no, ask him. He said that like was it earlier this year or last year? I don't they don't pay you to play defense. Uh, but he is not he is only relevant for the money. And I do think that's important to emphasize because he is a name. And I already saw people on Twitter. Oh, the Wizards got two young players. That seems pretty good. Eh, not really. They got one guy who maybe you keep, and the other guy, it's only about the money. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. No, they're not. No one would pick up that team option. But Oh, by the way, I, I, I didn't read anything about anybody from the Chicago side of things on this at tonight, but I know uh, Darnell Mabry uh, covers the Bulls for you guys. The craziest part I thought about the Otto Porter trade was the team involved. I was not vibing the Bulls at all, and I had multiple people – so, you know, or from around the league, message me like the Bulls, like what, what, like because it it seems I, I don't I, I don't know why are the Bulls wanting out of poor. They are a bottom team. He's got two years left after this year, making high money. What are they doing? The Bulls have liked Otto Porter for a little bit. I have no idea how long actual trade negotiations have gone on, but I know the Bulls have liked Otto Porter. That but, that I know has been a thing, but I'm I'm with you. I think I think Otto is the ultimate guy who, if he's in the right system or the right offense, or the right team, or the right coach, or whatever it is, then then he is going to be better. Like he he's the ultimate system guy, and I say that not. I think people use like system guy as an insult. That's not. I don't think of it like that. Like if you put him in the right place, he's going to thrive, and he's going to look a lot closer to that money that he makes. Like he's going to look really good in a, in a good spot. Like, when we heard Utah liked him, it's like, duh, of course Quinn Snyder likes him. Look at what they do with Jay Crowder. Look at what they do with Joe Ingles. He's better than Jay Crowder. And as much as it pains me to say it, because Joe Ingles is really the only guy in the league who I'd say might be better than LeBron, he's better than Joe Ingles. Like, he would kill it in those roles, shooting 45% from three, as he did the last two years, and playing the right defense and making the right passes and just getting corner three opportunities and swinging the ball. And, like, the Jazz use the term, they put teams in a blender. Off those blender plays, uh, he'd, he'd be awesome. So that makes sense. The bull situation doesn't make as much sense because they kind of have an uncertain coaching situation going forward. They kind of, you know, they extended Jim Boylan, but not really. They just kind of gave him a little bit of an annual bump for next year. And, they, you know, the coaching situation is fluid beyond that. Uh, they have... 
not they don't have a roster which you like you don't know what their future is you don't know what their situation is going to be Otto Porter's a guy at the top of that locker room he's not a, he's not an, uh, a basketball alpha you know he's a guy wow. who is he's very very good but I think he's more beneficial when he has a really good point guard he's more beneficial when you're plugging him into a really good offense it's like oh man then it's like he's just such a such a quality player to have there he does so many things right he doesn't make improper plays, he's a high IQ player, like, he's smart, he's just, he does so many things well, but if you want him initiating your offense, and you're telling him, like, all right, Otto Porter and Zach Levine are our two most, you know, and, and Markkanen, those are the three most important offensive players, then you're putting a burden on him, which I don't think is necessarily um, conducive to his basketball style. Yeah, 100%. I, I always want – if Otto Porter was going to get traded, I wanted him to go to the Spurs because he would have been yeah, like – he's not totally the Spurs. That's he, another one. He'd kill it he, Right. He wouldn't have been a rich man's Danny Green. He would have been like a billionaire's Danny Green. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, yeah, and, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, the, the you know that commercial I think it's for like BASF? The tagline is, we don't make the products you buy, we make the products you buy better. The, 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 that is how I've always described Otto Porter, the player. He himself is not the thing that you revolve around, but if you have the pieces in place, his style will get those pieces up a level because of of the way he plays. The, the Bulls, I mean, they've got some interesting young players, but like if Trevor Ariza had gone to the Bulls, Trevor Ariza would be pissed, but I would understand why the Bulls won't want Trevor Ariza, a tough guy who who, who, will, who will not put up with their crap. Otto Porter, I don't know. He's not that type of alpha, like you said. So I don't quite get it. But look, he's a good player, and I guess we'll see. But uh, it's kind of a, yeah, that that part of it was curious for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's got to just be. They really like Otto Porter. Look, there are a lot of Otto Porter is really interesting because I've texted with a number of people around the league with this, and I'm sure you have too. And the reviews of this trade are totally mixed. I've had a couple people who are super smart, whose opinions I ask all the time, uh, whose opinions I really, really respect, and who are so well-informed and, and know what's going on in the league and are smart about basketball, who are like, this is a great trade for the Wizards. They you know, got rid of a, a, a expensive contract, and I really like Bobby Portis, and he's a, he's a really quality player, and they think it's really good. They got out of the money, they got out of the tax, and they're like, unequivocally, good trade for the Wizards. And then... There are a couple other people who I respect just as much, who's just as smart, who are just as informed, whose opinions I still ask all the time, where we're like, man, I don't know what they're doing. They they could have, like, Otto's really good. And and so Otto is just like, I don't, no one thinks he's bad. He's obviously a good player. But there are some people who think he's, like, really, really good, which is exactly how he ends up with the max deal. And there are, there are some who just have him a level or two or three below that. And uh, reviews of him, like, really came through to me tonight. That's the thing I already knew and I thought about. I think I might have wrote it in my trade thing this morning when uh, when I – there was this tweet that went viral tonight. You know, it's like these, these quote tweets where it's like, uh, name, blah, 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 blah. People just quote tweet it and it goes viral. There was one, uh, name something that you said that's been completely wrong. Now I just wanted to link to my trade deadline piece this morning, which said that the Wizards were going to be quiet at the deadline. Like, I just wanted to throw that right on there. <laughs> uh, You're right. But, like, but yeah, I mean, Otto, the reviews on Otto are just kind of all over the place. 
which well, uh, came through in the evaluations of this trade with people I spoke to. Yeah, I mean, I've always gotten the impression that the the front offices, the coaches, they and and, and of course the the, the uh, analytics community, they all generally have very positive views on Otto Porter. But the re- just like whereas like Kelly Oubre looks like he was born on a poster, Otto Porter does not generate that type of enthusiasm or or, or uh, that type of emotion from fans. He, he does, there's nothing exciting about him, and so much of that I think just fans just do not embrace. You always wanted always wanted him to be like, dude, you got to be a little bit more uh, energetic out there on the court. I'm not even talking about the basketball, but just the person. Um, and it just never quite got there. But just generally speaking, front office people are big fans. Um, yeah, just to read one quote here, somebody, former front office guy, texted me right like minutes after the trade, and and said, and this was somebody who had said like they wanted to, he he would look to keep Otto Porter. This was pre the John Wall injury, at least. And he said, I gotta say, Ernie just made a big save. And 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 yeah, I mean, people, I, you know, I I think. I, I, I take it more from the money standpoint as much as anything else, but um, yeah, it, it's wild. It, the Portis thing does make it really interesting, though, right? I mean, if he, so if they somehow don't keep him, it will be. You know, I'd be curious to see what a Kevin Pelton grade is at that point. If we're just saying flat out, you literally just traded Otto Porter, the number three pick in the draft from 2013, the guy you gave a max contract to, you literally traded him for just cap space. I mean that. <laughs> and and did it at a point when like your team is just still going to be in, in a little bit of a tough spot because of the John Wall thing. That is just uh, that 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 might be tough to take. Not that Portis is a game changer. I'm just saying at least maybe he's your starting power forward. Yeah, two things before we wrap up. I didn't even ask you if you could go this long. I just, just oh come on, this talk. is what. This is why this is what this is why we do this. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm 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 good. I know it's true. This is exactly why we do this. Um, two things before we go. First of all, you said Otto Porter would be like their Danny Green if he went to San Antonio. This is a totally trivial and very late response, but he would be he would be like Boris Diaw on roids. That's what he would be. They, they would use him like Boris Diaw and. Oh, it would be awesome to watch. Like that that would be he would become like a darling amongst the basketball nerds if he were used that way. Other thing. So the Kings acquired Harrison Barnes tonight. Oh the, yeah, yeah, good. I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, yeah, go. The, go. the Kings were a team that was in on Otto Porter as was widely reported by Jason Jones, our Sacramento reporter at the Athletic, and a number of other people. Uh the Kings traded Justin Jackson and Zach Randolph for Harrison Barnes. Now, Harrison Barnes and Otto Porter are on similar contracts. Barnes is up in 2020, right? So one less year. But they're on relatively similar contracts. I would say that they're about equal players. And I would say that the general opinion around of them around the league is that they're pretty good, uh, kind of non-assertive, big wings who are good players if you put them in the right roles – and whose production doesn't necessarily meet their contracts. Uh, you're not going to find guys who are exactly the same, but I would say they're pretty close. And, you know, Barnes plays two ways, pretty solid defender, pretty solid shooter, not as good as Otto, but pretty solid. I, but that construction of that deal is different than what the Wizards got. Now, I'm not implying that, like, the Kings would have done this with Porter. I don't know. 
they, they might have preferred Barnes to Porter. That's extremely possible. Barnes is a good player. And Barnes might fit a little bit more uh, what they want to do. But and, and maybe they don't want that extra year of Porter, too. Uh, but they got a guy in Justin Jackson who's not going to be like a great player, but he's a second-year guy, tons of team control on him, pretty good shooter, could turn into a pretty solid wing defender, also a big wing, someone who is going to be able to be with them on a rookie deal beyond this year. And that's a package they were able to get. I don't know what other offers the Wizards have for Porter, but I think it's fair to compare the returns on those two guys when those players are pretty similar and say, all right, well, Dallas, which is also kind of in a rebuilding situation, has gone about it differently than the Wizards and just got Porzingis and took on some bad contracts in order to do that and all that, but got out of Barnes and uh, ended up taking back, you know, a, a Zach Randolph, who, who knows if he's ever even going to play for Dallas, and Justin Jackson in that deal, who's going to be on a rookie deal with them for a little bit and they have to keep control for a little while when the Wizards, if they want to keep Porter, are going to have to pay him. And uh, it's just a different type of constructed deal and is worth keeping in mind when you evaluate the Porter deal. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I mean, every time I went to the trade machine, it was much easier to deal with Sacramento because they had they were under the, uh, under the cap and, and they had some younger guys, whether it was uh, Justin Jackson or, or the other Bogdanovich or... Scalabissier or whatever, you could kind of mix and match some different guys, and it felt like Zach Randolph would come back regardless because he was somebody making like eleven or twelve million dollars. He needed some money, and 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 I was thinking more like that. Um, yeah, you know, I I I guess I'll just be honest. I don't have enough of an opinion of Justin Jackson to be like like Bobby Porter's. I'm, I'm I got a better take on Justin Jackson. You know, I don't know if what I think about his his potential. So the fact that you have him under control longer, yes, that's important uh, from a salary cap standpoint, but in terms of a talent standpoint, I don't quite know where I'm at on him, which isn't to say he's not good. I'm just saying, I, I'm just not, I'm not sure, but yes, it, it is interesting um, to, uh, to figure, uh, to figure this out. Looking at it quickly here, going back to uh, Kevin Pelton, he gave Dallas an A for the trade and he gave Sacramento a C minus. So again, I'm not reading this to know exactly what his uh, take on it is, but he definitely liked the Dallas side of that thing for sure. We got anything else before we go? We didn't talk about this game. Milwaukee scored 148 points, and uh, <laughs> Milwaukee scored 148 points. Milwaukee Milwaukee scored 50 in the first 50 in the first quarter, 35 in the second quarter. 35 in the third quarter, and a mere 28 points in the fourth quarter. It shot 60 from the field and 63 from three. Giannis had 43 points on 17 for 21 shooting. It was ridiculous. The Bucks are unbelievable. Like, they're amazing. The Wizards were good offensively. I mean, they, they were not good. They just can't guard the Bucks. I mean, I talked about this on the podcast after they played the Bucks last week, and the Bucks just... Bucks are so good at finding open guys after a defense makes a mistake, and the Wizards make mistakes, and the Bucks just tore them up. But, like, Thomas Bryant played well offensively. Beal played well offensively. Sadoransky had a double-double and played well offensively. Like, guys, Jeff Green shot super well and hit five threes. Guys shot well offensively, and the offense looked good. But, God, the Bucks are just – they're just too good. 
they're they're the best team in the East. I they go in the East. I mean, the East is so good now with uh, with that Tobias Harris trade. That starting five in Philly is ridiculous. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think Milwaukee's awesome. They're so well coached. They execute amazingly, and they're great. Uh, any anything else? Well, I, let me ask you this. But the, you, you, let me ask you. So one thing that you said, as we discussed this whole thing, is all about financial flexibility, essentially. And you mentioned you already laid out they've got a lot of cap holes and things like that. But it does make it easier, at least on a basic level, if they just want to keep Sadoransky and they just want to keep Thomas Bryant, it makes it easier to do that. I mean, yes, there's the restricted free agent market, and Sadoransky, I think we've both written about this, that, like, you know, depending on who you talk to, he could command – Six and a half million a year, he could maybe get up to nine or ten, and and that'll be a thing. But for argument's sake, the Wizards could keep those guys if they want to easier now than they could before. But my question is, to what end? I kept hearing people immediately after the wall news, especially with regards to Sadoransky, multiple national analysts, among others, said, okay, priority one now, you've got to get Sadoransky under contract. And I'm a big Sadoransky guy. I, I love his energy. The the whole ball movement thing they've been doing kind of stems from his basic attitude. He's a nice guy. Uh, you know, teammates clearly like him. He makes his shots, low turnovers, all that stuff. But the the notion that they have to keep him, I think, has been a bit overstated. I, I mean, again, I, I I thought about this prior to this all that went down to to, to today. To what end? He's good, but I mean. Everybody has a price, and I don't think that Wizards, like, if if it, if the bidding in for agency gets out of whack, I don't view Thomas Sadoransky as a guy you have to keep to the degree that people are acting like it now. Uh, just because he's the guy you know doesn't mean that's the best thing. I think people really like him a lot, in part because he's not Tim Frazier. He's not Trey Burke. He's not Eric Maynard or all the other backup point guards that for years they tried it out that never worked. That doesn't mean you have to keep him. I, I kept hearing that today, and it was kind of like, or I kept hearing it the last 24 hours, and it was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I buy that. Well, I think part of that was when people thought the Wizards roster was still going to be super expensive next year, and they just had no vehicle to get somebody else. Uh, and I think people are just kind of under the impression that the Wizards are going to want to stay competitive. I mean, I wrote it this morning. The Wizards are susceptible, and I still believe it. They're susceptible to getting Otto quartered again because now they've got a few eggs in the restricted basket with Sato and with uh, Bobby Portis. And they've historically not really spent on backup point guard. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, this is far ahead. I don't know what they're going to do. I, I thought I knew what they were going to do, you know, what they were going to do tonight 12 hours ago, and that was incorrect. I don't know what they're going to do um, this summer, but, you know, a team like the Magic or the Suns, Sato's the type of guy, you know, second, third-tier restricted guys can linger into, you know, mid-July, late July, even August or September. If Sato is one of those guys who doesn't sign early because he's kind of a second or third-tier restricted free agent and teams don't want to clog up their cap space for 48 hours by signing him to an offer sheet and the Magic strike out in free agency and the Suns strike out in free agency and neither of those teams has a point guard. The Suns just got Tyler Johnson, but I don't know how that's going to affect this thing. 
neither of those teams ends up having a point guard and they go to Sato because he's the best one remaining and they say, all right, here's $45 million for three years and the Wizards don't have a point guard because all the other ones have dried up and they've banked on re-signing Sadoransky and they want to be competitive in 2019-20, they've got a dilemma, which is the exact same dilemma they went through when Otto Porter got the big offer sheet from, from Brooklyn. So I don't know if that will happen. A lot of things have to fall in line in order for that very specific situation to happen. But the Wizards are susceptible to that scenario, and that's the situation they've kind of put themselves in with the, with the finances and, and kind of with the moves that they made. And also, for sure, with the unfortunate luck that they've had with a bunch of guys, including John Wall. Uh, yeah, I, but like, one thing I find a lot um, and you've bounced around to different markets, and I suspect, well, I'd be curious if you think the same. People take the, what, what a lot of the Nationals guys say as gospel, and some of them are very good. I think Brian Windhorst is awesome. Uh, some, But, like, in general, you can't be on as top as everything. There's 30 teams. You can't possibly be on top of every scenario. And sometimes they state they sort of – they have a general observation and just sort of come down with that. So when they say things like – you got to keep Sadoransky. I suspect, whereas you are paying attention to the the Wizards' cap, I suspect a lot of people just say, hey, that guy looks good. He's the backup point guard. He's the guy who's been playing. They need to keep uh, They need to keep him. But the other part of the equation is they need to keep him infers that Sadoransky is sitting there begging them to keep him right now. Why would he do that? He, I mean, if he can go into free agency, even though the Wizards can match uh, offers – it becomes a Sadoransky probably lost a little bit of leverage now in, in for restricted free agency. In that, I thought before teams might be able to wait the Wizards out because they weren't going to have any real money, and uh, you know, so teams just waited a week or two into free agency, uh, made Sadoransky whatever offer they wanted to. The Wizards just may not be in a position to match. Now that's not as much of an issue, but nonetheless, why would you? Why would Camp Sadoransky unless the Wizards are ready to pay what they want, which is to the point of my my saying, is he a guy you go all in for to whatever you know whatever that is, but within a reason for that player, I don't know. But if I said to you right now, Fred, you can sign him four years, eight million per. Are you doing it? Yeah, I'd do that. He's he's a good player. The problem is they can't. Like they're not. There have been people who've talked about extending him, and why in the world would Sadoransky take that? Like he's he's limited to a first year salary and extension is like three point nine million or something like that. Like he's not going to take that. That's way below market value. Like I've had people compare. I don't I don't know if he's going to get this much. I'd be surprised if he got this much. But I had somebody who's like smart and really likes his game compare him. Say uh, Spencer Dinwiddie's three year thirty four million dollar extension would be a nice baseline for him. And said that he doesn't think he's quite as good as Dinwiddie, but it's a nice baseline. And so maybe he doesn't get three for 34, but he gets like three for 30, three for 27. So like if that's what he's getting, like that's basically a little more than the mid-level. If he's getting a little more than the mid-level or the mid-level, why would he take less than half of that? Like I, I keep other people say, yeah, maybe he's more taxpayer mid-level. That's still five, six million dollars a year. Why would he give back $5 million when you can just – if he wants to resign, then he can come back and resign. Uh, he can sign for that, you know, four for 20, four for 24 or whatever it is, deal three for whatever it might be, 18. He can sign that deal this summer as opposed to signing, you know, four for 16 right now, which would 
just be really small. And I, I don't know why he would give that back. It's not like he's a player who's made a max contract money for 12 years and can now give back money to stay. So according to Bobby Marks, Sadoransky is eligible until June 30th to sign a four-year, $47 million extension. Oh, because he can do – oh, God. I just went through that whole rant, and I forgot he could do the actual Dinwiddie contract. Well, well if, that's fine. No, 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 everybody pretend they know the salary cap stuff. You do. I'm just saying people <laughs> – nobody, nobody else. So four years, 47, would you make – right now you're the Wizards. you make that offer? Mm, man, this is the out of order situation. Uh, do you? No. Yeah, I don't either. I, I mean, I say that uh, glibly. I without having, I don't have the, I don't have, I have not studied the free agent market per se yet. You know what I mean? Like, because part of it, like I saw, like Darren Collison is a guy I always use as replacement level point guard, starting point guard. Right? He's a free agent. What is Darren Collison getting in the market? Is he getting ten million a year? Is he getting less? If he's, if I think I get Darren Collison for less, eh, maybe I just go that way. Um. But but no, I wouldn't I wouldn't probably give him that. By the way, here's the other point to me on this: you got to know what the coach wants. I don't know how you feel because this is you know your you've been your first year here, and uh, Sadoransky, um, you know John Wall's been out now. You know, but he'll, he'll you know he's been out most of the year. But last year, I mean, we all talk about this. You know, Sadoransky came in, helped save the season, and yet Scott Brooks kept talking about Scott Sadoransky's versatility. He kept wanting to play him at the three. When, it, when, it, when the playoffs started, they brought in Ty Lawson. Even this year, he kept playing him at the three. At points, he was using Chase and Randall when um, when, Walt, when uh, Wall went down. Oh, no, no, I, I'm sorry. When the Austin Rivers trade I think it was yeah, the Austin Rivers trade, and then Chase and Randall showed up. They were playing Randall and Sadoransky together with Sadoransky off the ball. And I, I don't I don't know about tonight, but the last two games, he wasn't on the court in the fourth quarter. I think you pointed this out as well. Uh, in, in one of those games was fairly tight. I still don't get the belief that Scott Brooks actually buys into Sadoransky as his point guard. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm completely wrong. So if all that's the case, like why do, I, I'm not paying Sadoransky – Ten million a year to play all over the court. He's the point guard, but if the coach doesn't totally buy that, I, I don't know. So, like, I, I put it all together. To me, I, I suspect that either he's going to get outpriced for what they want, or it just becomes a point of like, I don't know. And I'm saying this as somebody who wants this guy on my team, likes the way he plays, but I think at some point for the Wizards, I fear that it's just going to get too much. Uh, for, or at least that's, that's what I wonder, at least. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think also what you have to consider is that if you're paying him $12 million a year annually, then between him and Wall, you're giving $50 million to your point guards. And maybe that's okay next year. Like maybe you need him for next year. But the question is, do you need him for 2021? Because I know the cap is going to be rising a lot. We don't even necessarily know how much because all the gambling money is going to be coming in. It's going to be super expensive. But, like, do you want to be paying your point guards $50 million then? And and we don't know about Wall's health. And they're not going to know about Wall's health this summer. They're going to have to basically close their eyes and make a decision on this because there's no way anyone can possibly know exactly when John Wall's coming back come this summer and when he comes back how he's going to look and how he's going to recover. Just like nobody – to know. They can estimate. They've got more information than we do, but they just can't know. And to give that much when you've already invested so much in Wall with 
two guys who you obviously can play together, but it's not ideal to play together. It's just not um, it's not worth it when at some point you're going to have to rebuild. Like at some point it's going to have to happen, and then you're stuck with that deal too. And Sadovinsky's a really <clears throat> quality player, and he's been very good for them. But I think it's more uh, – this is like we're having a situational conversation more so than just like is, what is this guy worth in a vacuum, you know? Right, and also like Bradley Beal's contract expires in two. He's two years left. Let's just say, for argument's sake, he stays throughout. He doesn't demand a trade or, or whatever. He stays throughout. Like to me, having just thought about this right now, like I probably wouldn't want to get too many people on the books beyond whatever Bradley Beal is, because I don't know what John Wall's going to be. I know what Bradley Beal is, and if Bradley Beal were to leave, well, then where am I? Right? I mean, at that point. John Wall exists, but then I, you know, right now they again they only have three people under contract. If I start getting signing people to longer term deals, what am I then have left? I have John Wall, these other pieces longer term. I I don't want to probably get too many guys on the books beyond Beal because I don't I, I need to know that Beal is staying. At, I mean, can see. I mean, again, who knows what happens tomorrow? Let alone two years. But, but at least then at that point, I kind of know what my team is. But beyond that, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to start signing guys the three, four years, and then all of a sudden Beal hypothetically leaves, and what do I, what do I have here? And Sadoransky, by the way, is already 27. It's not like he's 20. Like, at least with Thomas Bryant, we could sort of imagine, oh, if he did this this year, in three years he'll be this. Sadoransky is kind of who he is, so um, I, that's another reason. I, I have one more thing for it, but if you want to hang up, just tell me to buzz off because we've been talking hmm. forever. Give me the one more thing, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap this thing up. I right, still, I still got to finish my story for tomorrow morning. It's two thirty in the morning, so uh, you're fine. Trade deadline night is a fun night. Yeah, you're fine. All right, so I'm going <laughs> to ask you quick questions, and then just give me a quick answer, and then I'll explain why. So Sadoransky, right now, what do you think he gets month just per year? What do, What do you think he gets just off the top of your head? Mid level exception. So what's what's that like, six? No, it'll be like eight and a half or something. Oh, oh, oh that okay. The yeah, tax, not the tax paper. Eight and a half. Okay, eight and a half. Thomas Bryant, if he's a restricted for you know another restricted for agent, what do you think he gets annually? Yeah, uh, he's really hard. Um, let's guess five. All right, that's, that's probably what I would say. All right, Bobby Portis, um, another one. What, what do you think? He could get paid. But twelve. Yeah, I was gonna say like four for fifty. Um, all right, so just for argument, we'll just say twelve. And then Sam Decker, another the other uh, uh, restricted free agent. He's like whatever he's qualifying is like at four, something like that. They might not even offer him the qualifying offer. He just might go into unrestricted free agency and get a minimum deal. Fair enough. So we'll just say Sam Decker is whatever. Rank those players because even if Sam Decker is minimum, that he still may be more interesting to keep than the other one. So if that's what we're saying, Sadoransky's nine, Portis is twelve, Bryant's five, Decker is you know anywhere from the qualifying to minimum. Rank them in terms of like what you would actually want to keep because like the, we're not saying this is your whole team, but the point is how are you allocating your money? Uh, 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 yeah, I want to keep Thomas Bryant, and I think they do want to keep Thomas Bryant. I would want to keep Thomas Bryant. I I do genuinely believe there's something to be said of, like, they found that dude. They are really proud of having found that dude, and they want to keep him to see how high they can go with him. 
Like, I think he's a really talented offensive player, and they've done a really good job with him. And, like, I think they're really proud of that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, if you can get him at reasonable price, like, yeah, that's fine. He's he's a, he's a good kid. Like, you can – he's good in the locker room. Low maintenance. Like, I would say Thomas Bryant would probably be my number one guy because I would just go into a rebuild direction. And you can re-sign him. Thomas Bryant is in line with wanting to rebuild. Sadoransky is in line with wanting to remain competitive and could be in a rebuild depending on the price you get, I guess. Are you are you trying to see how, how far that would put them or how close that would put them to the tax? Is that the exercise we're doing? Nah, it's basically like I always think that people say you have to keep Sadoransky, but they don't factor in well what's the actual cost and what else, what are my other options? So Sadoransky at whatever we said nine it, without thinking of anything else, you can make a think about it. But if I, but if then you have to think, well, wait, Thomas Bryant is five. Can I keep them both for sure? If I have to make a call, who would I rather pick? Bobby Portis at fourteen. Now he just got here, or what? No, he's at twelve. He just got here. We haven't looked at him yet in terms of the Wizards, and who knows if Scott Brooks likes him and all that. But you know, uh, like you just said, in theory, John Wall's coming back at some point. Thomas uh, Bobby Portis could be your starting power forward going forward. That you know. Is that enough with Thomas Bryant? I don't know. But, you know, like like that's the exercise. Or even, like I said, Sam Decker, you need some cheap guys. Is Sam are, are you, you know, Sam Decker can do some stuff for me. And the other guys are all good, but I don't want to pay them too much. I'd rather maybe just keep Sam Decker for nothing. Like that, that to me is an, always a fun exercise, and I think one that needs to happen, rather than just say, oh, you got to keep this guy, you got to keep that guy. Well, how are you doing this? How are you paying for everything? How are you prioritizing your stuff? Um uh, but, yeah, I think Bryant at five is probably what I would keep first. The Portis-Sadoransky one, I guess I guess I have to watch Portis play here for the next 20 games and kind of go from there. Yeah, I mean, here's something interesting. We set those numbers totally randomly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those numbers, those three numbers for Bryant, Portis, Sadoransky, and we haven't discussed a reason either, but those numbers for Bryant, Portis, and Sadoransky add up to $1 million less than Otto Porter's salary for next year. So just the thing throwing out there that uh, you throw those guys on, it, it takes you with, with those random numbers that we just completely uninformedly came up with off the top of our heads. Uh, that takes you about $110 million in salary for next year, which is what they would have been at had they uh, held on to Porter. So throwing it on there, funny that it worked out like that, or maybe not funny. Or maybe the Wizards have a similar idea of all of it, and that's why they wanted Porter off of their books, because they do want to re-sign those guys. I tweeted earlier that Jeff Green, I, Jeff Green's name, and I missed, I, I uh, a typo, I didn't have a, uh, one of the E's in there, and somebody at 2.30 in the morning just uh, messaged me and says, it's green, like with the asterisks, to indicate that I had gotten it wrong. Can you imagine looking at this tweet and thinking to yourself, I need to let this person know clearly they had a typo at 2.30 in the morning that it's, it's green? What the? Maybe he genuinely thought that you thought it was Jeff Grant. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> All right. On that note, we're ending this thing. Before we go, I should have said this at the top of the show. The Wizards play... You know what? Screw it. I'll do a podcast on Friday. I was going to say I'm not going to do a podcast on Friday, but I have to in case they make another move. So I'm just going to do a podcast on Friday. At some point, there will not be a Thunder After Dark post-game episode. 
I don't know when it'll be, but I actually will do. You're so tired, you just had Thunder After Dark. I did? Oh, man. I I did a gazillion episodes of Thunder After Dark, and now I have it on my mind still, I guess. There will be a Wizards After Dark. There will be a Wizards After Dark on Friday. They play Cleveland. I'll do it after. If they make a deal or something, we'll have another deal. We'll obviously be talking about that. I hope... I hope that this podcast is relevant for, like, more than, like, two hours and that they don't make some massive deal and render all of this completely insignificant. I'll be back on Friday. You are a great sport for coming on and talking about basketball with me for seven hours about this in the middle of the night. I'd rather do the podcast than write. Me too. Oh, I got to finish writing now. Me too. It would be so much easier, right? Absolutely. By the way, Otto Porter, the Wizards play him on Saturday. This is like the Ubre thing all over again. Trade him and you play him again, like in the same week. So that's fun. I know. If anybody wants a good headline, by the way, any local newspapers, although you've already gone to press, but Transporter has got to be one. Oh. Got to be one. All right. Branding on that. I'll be back on Saturday. Subscribe to Wizards After Dark on iTunes. Give us five stars. Look at how much time we're talking about trades here. Ben is basically my co-host now. So talk about how much you like Ben, too. You can follow Ben on on on, on Twitter and, and see him call uh, Jeff Green, Jeff Gren, at uh, – what's what's your handle? I really should know your handle. Just at Ben Standing. There you go. Correct. S-P-A-N-D-I-G. And uh, you can follow me, by the way, at Fred Katz. Give Wizards After Dark five stars. Leave nice reviews. Check out my stuff on The Athletic. I'll have a piece up in the morning at some point, Thursday morning, about – Probably about a lot of what we just talked about here and maybe some extra stuff too. Um, check that out at The Athletic. Subscribe to The Athletic. Do it off of my articles because by, that's good for me too. By the way, that's that's cats with a K. <laughs> that's cats with a K. And on that note, I will talk to you guys on Friday.